Welcome to Reproductive Left, produced by WERU in collaboration with Mabel Wadsworth Women's Health Center, a feminist, client-centered, sexual and reproductive health care provider in Bangor, Maine. I'm your host, Abby Strout. On each show, we tackle a topic that impacts our sexual and reproductive health by inviting members of our community who work specifically on the subject. Reproductive Left covers a variety of issues, including, but certainly not limited to, reproductive rights, feminism, access to services, sexuality, gender, and relationships. To wrap up our show, we answer your sexual and reproductive health questions in our Ask Mabel segment. Be sure to stick around for it. Hello and good afternoon. Thanks for listening. On today's show, we're going to discuss the intersection of racial justice and reproductive rights, and this term called reproductive justice. With me is Samah Abdurraqib, the Reproductive Freedom Organizer at the ACLU of Maine. First, I'll tell you a little bit about Samah. Her work at the ACLU of Maine primarily includes providing legislative support to the ACLU's Public Policy Council on bills related to women's reproductive rights. She does public education, event planning, and represents the ACLU on the Maine Choice Coalition and the Coalition for Maine Women. In addition to her work with the ACLU, Samad teaches as an adjunct professor at the University of Southern Maine and is an active volunteer in the Portland area. She volunteers for Southern Maine Workers Center, which is a membership organization that works to improve the lives, working conditions, and terms of employment for the working poor people in Maine. She is a sexual assault crisis advocate with SARSM, Sexual Assault Response Services of Southern Maine, and is an adult literacy tutor with Learning Works. Before Samad began her work at the ACLU, she taught for three years in the Gender and Women's Studies program at Bowdoin. Samad and I are both members of the Maine Choice Coalition. This coalition is made up of organizations from across the state who are committed to reproductive freedom for all Mainers. And recently, Sama helped the coalition adopt a reproductive justice framework. Today, we'll be talking a little bit about what reproductive justice means and the intersection of racial justice and reproductive rights. Thank Hi. you for being on Reproductive Left with me today. Thank you so much for having me. I've been looking forward to this. It is great to have you here. So, um, like I said when I introduced you, we're going to be talking about um, the connection between racial justice and reproductive rights today. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to ask you just to start by talking about this term reproductive justice and Mm -hmm. how that's different from reproductive freedom. Yeah, yeah. I think that's a great place to start because I think, you know, having the particulars about the terminology helps us figure out, um, figure out how to think about the work that we're doing. So I'm a reproductive freedom organizer for the ACLU of Maine and um, reproductive freedom and reproductive rights are often seen as synonymous. So the reproductive freedom project at the ACLU is focused on protecting everyone's right to make informed decisions about their reproductive life um, and make those decisions free from government interference. It focuses on reproductive rights, kind of written broadly, access to um, abortion, but also access to affordable um, contraceptive care, access to age-appropriate sex education. And reproductive freedom is primarily legal and advocacy 
focused. Reproductive justice merges reproductive rights with social justice. And so it recognizes that historically reproductive oppression, so, you know, controlling the control and exploitation of women's bodies and genders and, and, um, and sexuality um, is based on other kinds of oppression. So class-based oppression, race-based oppression, um, gender-based oppression. Um, and so it works to kind of, it identifies intersectionality or, you know, that oppressions are intersecting and it works to kind of combat all of those things altogether. The reproductive justice movement uh, came around in the mid-90s. It was started by women of color um, who, um, there was a group of black women who went to a human rights conference in Cairo and they had been previously doing work on reproductive rights, on abortion access, and they recognized that the work that they were doing wasn't addressing, wasn't universally addressing all women's situations, all women's conditions, and um, it wasn't prioritizing issues of race, and it wasn't prioritizing issues of immigrant status, for example. And so, um, and they realized that it's not enough just to make abortion accessible. We also need to, to make sure that poor women have equal access. And um, we also need to make sure that women of color who have traditionally not been given the same kinds of, the same kinds of um, access to control their own reproductive health, we need to make sure that we're, we're, we're including a social justice lens. Yeah, that makes me think of, we always use Roe v. Wade as this major changing point in our history um, mm -hmm. around access to abortion care. But then three years later, the Hyde Amendment passed, which denies Medicaid coverage mm -hmm. of abortion care, which is a huge access issue. Mm -hmm. So um, it's not enough for it to be there as a legal right. There That's needs right. to be access to it as well. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, that's absolutely right. So in, in reproductive justice work as a, you know, the framework of, um, it's a kind of a, an organizing principle. It doesn't, it doesn't discount the, the, the fact that reproductive rights still need to be guaranteed by law. It doesn't, doesn't negate any of that. It just recognizes that, that access needs to be equitable. And so, you know, yes, yeah, something like the Hyde Amendment that that makes um, abortion access really unattainable for for low-income women, for poor women. It identifies that as a problem and says that we have to work on both of those things. So you talked a little bit about where the term came from. It's mm -hmm. now becoming um, used more um, in in kind of the mainstream feminist movement. Do you think? Mm -hmm. Do you think it's still being used the way it was intended when the women in the '90s? kind of developed the framework? That is a great question. Um, you know, I think that there are, I think the definition has, has evolved. And so, um, and when I say that, I just mean like the, the literal definitions that you see that are circulating. So um, if you look at a, an organization like Sister Song out of Atlanta, they were the first kind of reproductive justice organization, and they're kind of an umbrella organization. And if you look at their mission statement and how they define reproductive justice, they say very simply that reproductive justice is um, 
the ability to have children and to not have children and to parent those children, the children that you do have in a healthy environment. And so, it, and out of all of that, that you know, that encompasses a lot of stuff that we'll probably end up talking about in this interview. But um, there are other organizations who've taken that same idea, merging social justice with with reproductive justice, and talk about the there they define it more. I would say more broadly as you know something like reproductive justice is realized if when all people have um the right to the autonomous right to control their bodies their sexuality their gender and so i think that i think that the definition has changed i think that um it has it has kind of moved away from being a term that is primarily used by by women of color and activists of color. But I think it has maintained the kind of the basic human rights principle and basically recognizing that oppressions are interlocking and that you can't just you can't just talk about access assuming that all women and all people have the same access. You can't just talk about reproductive health care without thinking about trans health care, without you know, the health care reproductive health care for trans people. Um so I think that it's that it has changed, but I don't necessarily think that that means that it's been diluted. I love that there's space for trans people in the reproductive justice framework that I yeah. think was wasn't as clear when we just were talking about reproductive rights. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And the more comfortable we get with talking about the fact that trans men or gender nonconforming people can get pregnant and also need access to these care. That's right, yeah. Um, So you also said part of the reproductive justice framework originally is that people have the right to parent without in healthy environments. Mm-hmm. Um, I've seen some nice posters um, made from by the Re- Repeal Hide Art Project that said the right to parent without fear that your child will be killed. Yes. It's a yes. powerful statement, and that is happening in communities across the country. People, people are living in fear that their children will be killed. Yeah, yeah. Um, I love those posters by the Repeal Hide Project. Uh, art project. Um, and I think that, I think that that's a good example of how a reproductive justice framework can be put into action. So, you know, previously we just focused on whether or not abortion was accessible, but these, these, um, women of color who came up with this, this term are, they came up with the term recognizing that that even those of us who are who are for abortion rights or call ourselves pro-choice, we still are just kind of focusing on whether or not a woman decides to carry her her pregnancy to term, and then after that, like what do you know? What do we do after that? So um, these groups that were these women who were focused on focused on um, reproductive justice recognized that that parenting or you know your reproductive life is more than just that that specific moment. And so um, so right now, there's a lot of kind of collaboration around racial justice and reproductive rights, particularly in light of young black men who are, who are being killed by either police violence or the vigilante violence. Um, and I think specifically of Tamir Wright. And um, I think that 
after the Mike Brown killing and after um, Tamir Rice was was killed, a lot of reproductive justice organizations nationally took this up as a reproductive justice issue. Because again, if we go back to the definition of the of the right to parent children in a healthy environment, if you have if young men of color are being targeted, then you are that affects your choices, the choices that you make in terms of parenting. That affects, um, um, you know, that affects so much. That just affects affects so much. Yeah, I th- people should be making their reproductive choices, the decision whether or not to have children, because they whether or not they want to raise kids, mm-hmm. not out of fear, like choosing to terminate a pregnancy because they don't want to raise children in a world where they're, they have to fear for their kids' lives. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it, so, and it, and it recognizes that um, parenting looks different based on how much, how much wealth you have and um, your immigrant status and the, and the color, the color of your skin, just, you know, broadly speaking. So, you know, who, who has, you know, access to better education, who has access to, to safe streets and who has access to, um, um, to opportunities. And so I think that it's been part of the reason that the reproductive justice framework has been so persuasive is that, is that it, it recognizes that your your parenting or your you know your reproductive choices extend beyond just the moment of birth. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to Reproductive Left, produced by WERU in collaboration with Mabel Wadsworth Women's Health Center. I'm Abby Stroh, and here on the show with me today is Samah Abdurakib from the ACLU of Maine, and we're talking about reproductive justice. Part of the reason I like the term reproductive, either one, reproductive freedom or reproductive justice, um, is that, you know, in my job as a reproductive freedom organizer, I'm looking at more than just, I'm looking at, you know, the protections that pregnant women have in the workplace. I'm looking at the um, um, the conditions for pregnant incarcerated, incarcerated women, looking at um, the availability of TANF benefits. That's that's also a reproductive justice issue. Then you're, you know, you're, you're, you're thinking more about, more about life and parenting and, you know, I think it's, I think it's really compelling. Now, one thing that comes up for me is that there, across the country, there's, a, you know, tons of anti-choice legislation being mm-hmm. proposed. And, um, and so the fight to just keep abortion as accessible as it is today, mm-hmm. <laughs> which isn't it great, um, is a lot of work. So my, what I think about is how to then include all these other issues that are so important um, and matter so much to our reproductive choices, but one person doesn't have the energy to do all of that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I think that I, I I think that that is one of the, um, so if you organizations who, if you look at the, the frameworks or the pros and cons of like taking, you know, making just reproductive rights your focus or making reproductive justice your focus. One of the limitations of taking on something broader like reproductive justice is, is the, is the fatigue, not just the fatigue, but the, you know, if you're focusing on one issue, abortion access, then you kind of are able to 
to market like this is it is accessible and now we are done or you know what I mean it's <laughs> yeah. able you have a you have a limit if you're thinking about how do we deal with you know how do we deal with racism and sexism and classism all those things it just feels overwhelming it feels like the fight you know the the struggle is never complete but I think what is so what can be so revitalizing is the way that it it allows for more coalition and more collaboration and so you don't have one person or one organization who has to do it all all of a sudden you can start um working in coalition with um with organizations who focus on having freedom to parent the way that they want to parent you can folk you can work in collaboration with organizations that work on healthy families you can you know um uh, ending domestic violence, you know, violence in the family. You can do that kind of work together. Um, and I think that that's really exciting. Yeah, we're stronger together. I think so. Yes. <laughs> um, actually, I think this was a few years ago, but the a few anti-choice organizations were specifically targeting um, – black communities and black women about their reproductive choices. And there were uh, these billboard campaigns, I think that they were across the country, but specifically in New York City, that had a picture of a little girl. And the the poster said, the most dangerous place for an African-American is in the womb. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I guess my question is, why was why is it so specifically targeted? Um, we don't we didn't see those posters targeting white women. No, no, it's a hugely divisive and problematic campaign. But yeah, they were across multiple cities: um, Chicago, New York, um, L.A., Oakland, and a couple of other places. So the one in New York was taken down. There was a, a a huge campaign. So lots of organizations that were run by women of color. And a lot of um, social media outlets that are run by women of color. Early 2011, um, there was all of this backlash, and they actually ended up taking the bill the, the billboard down. So the one that you're talking about, that um, said the most dangerous place for a what was it an African for an African American is in the womb is in the womb. I would say that it's a it's cl- it was clearly a ploy or an attempt to get some to make the anti-choice movement um, or the pro-life movement to, to give them some traction in African-American communities. And of course, the problem with that is that often the groups that are, the groups that, that have a pro-life agenda are often not concerned with the life conditions of children of color. I think they also had other campaigns that, that targeted, um, that targeted Latino families. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's this, it's, it's using this kind of analogy that is alarmist so that, you know, African Americans can be taken aback, but it kind of just obscures all of the other ways that, all the other ways that conditions of racism and classism make it unsafe for young black people. So, you know, if you put that in, if you put that, if you take that billboard and you juxtapose it with the killing of Tamir Rice, who was, 
you know, technically not armed. Um, um, it just seems, it just seems um, really divisive and, and kind of dis- more than just disrespectful. And to put the blame and the stigma on women. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The interesting thing about that campaign is I think that um, I remember reading that the, the mother of the child did not know. Did you read that? I too? did, yeah. Okay. And, and then she, and she was very upset by it. Right. Um, I think that she had just taken her children to, to, to a modeling agency. And I guess when you do that, I don't know, but I guess when you do that, they, they get rights to whatever the pictures yep. are. But then... You have been horrified to find your daughter on that picture. Right, yeah. Against, you know, without knowing. And then at a similar time, actually, there were posters, um, billboards around New York City Mm -hmm. around preventing teen pregnancy. And a lot of those posters, they had statements of something around um, saying that the, the man involved wasn't going to stay with them if they chose to continue and having having a baby mm-hmm. so women are getting those two messages right mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. if you are a teen and you continue your pregnancy you're making the wrong choice mm-hmm. um but if you terminate you're you're also you know stigmatized and shamed for that choice yeah so you, you're you don't have any good options right <laughs> yeah isn't and i feel like isn't that isn't that basically that the definition of reproductive oppression, right? So it's the complete control of, of women's reproductive choices and their bodies and their sexuality. So all of the choices that are in front of, in front of her are all, can all be damaging. So what is she supposed to do? Right. She's, she's going to be judged or criticized in in either way. And I feel like that is the definition of reproductive oppression, of gender-based reproductive oppression. That is what we need to change. Right? Yes. (laughs) That is it. So the other thing I wanted to bring up is that right now there's a lot of energy in both of these movements. The uh, Black Lives Matter movement Mm -hmm. is it is gaining a lot of momentum. There are a lot of amazing youth leaders yeah. at the same time because reproductive freedom is under attack across the country. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of people motivated. Do you do you see these working together more as it moves forward? Building yeah. more coalitions, really taking over. I do. I do. I think. Um, so I think an, an exciting place for that kind of that kind of activism um, is the the CLPP conference, yes, Civil the, Liberties. and Public Policy. Civil Liberties and Public Policy. Yes, it's the um, From Abortion Rights to Social Justice Conference. Mm-hmm. And that is a conference that is held at Hampshire College um, in April. And I know, Abby, you've gone to that conference and you love it, right? Yes, I intend to go again this year. And um, they have, and it's, it's mo- it's not all young people, but it's mostly young people, and they have amazing workshops and amazing speakers. I know that um, Monica Simpson of Sister Song, who was just here a few months ago, just she, um, we were fortunate enough to, um, um, Maine Family Planning brought her to come speak to us, and it was amazing. Um, I, and I know that she's been at CLPP before, but that's a great place because you see you get to see all the people who are doing this kind of work, all the young people who are 
who have already recognized how these issues come together. So they, I know they have lots of panels on reproductive justice, and I know they have lots of panels on, on um, you know, racial justice and the reproductive rights movement. So I think that that's an exciting place to see, to, 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 to network and see the work that's being done. Um, and I think more nationally, there are lots of organizations, in addition to Sister Song, um, there's the Women of Color uh, Sexual Health um, Network. They have a lot of resources that local groups and organizations can use if they're trying to move towards adopting a reproductive justice lens. There are lots of there are lots of organizations. I can just list a bunch of them. Yeah, and I can put when we archive this, I can okay. put the list of the websites so people oh, can great. access all of these um, organizations that you're describing. Oh, great. And we're both members of the of Maine's um, Abortion Rights Coalition, or we're changing our name. We were the Choice Coalition. We're trying to change our name to be to take on a reproductive justice lens. And um, we've been doing a lot of work to try to to try to talk about what um, you know why it might be beneficial to to adopt this new framework. And a lot of the a lot of the resources that I've been getting for to do trainings, all the talks that are coming from these organizations. Um, Forward Together is another one that has, they have mm-hmm. um, some great workshops and some great um, visuals to help explain how to apply this reproductive justice lens. And so I think that that is a place, um, if that is a place, those are those are places that we can turn to. And a lot of these organizations are being run by women of color and, and a big part of reproductive justice work is, is amplifying the voices of women of color. And I think it's so important that that's, that we turn to those groups to find out the work that they've been doing and to, to support the work that they've been doing, you know? Yes. Instead of just taking over. Yes. Which often can happen. People yes. just get excited want to go straight for it but yes hearing from the people that are already on the grounds doing this work is so important yeah yeah right on well we're running out of time it's been awesome to have you on the show today it's been wonderful um is there anything that we didn't cover that you wanted to be sure was said in this this 20 30 minute period um (laughs) So um, I'm going to do a quick plug for um, for a film screening. I don't know how many people who are listening are in the Portland area, but um, at the end of the month, February 26th, um, I am the the ACLU in in um, collaboration with the the Broader Choice Coalition. We're going to be doing a film screening of a film called Vessel. Um, and Vessel, it's it's brand new. It just won all of the awards at all of the all of the popular film festivals. <laughs> all, of the awards. all of them. Um, it's about a group of of women um, called Women Make Waves. Women, women on Waves. Thank you, Women on Waves. And they bought a ship and they travel to places where abortion is not accessible. Countries where abortion is not accessible and illegal. And they take women onto the ship and they perform these abortions in offshore and, you know, um, international waters. And it's really exciting. We're going to have, um, so it's going to be February 26th from 6 to 8.30 on USM's campus in the Glickman Library. I'll be doing promotion um, 
starting next week. And it's going to be really exciting. We're going to have a panel of people um, from the abortion providers in the state talking about abortion access and um, and answering questions. And I'm really excited. I'm hoping that there's going to be a big turnout and, um, and people can pass the word along. I'm really looking forward to it. Great. Thank you. Yes, I'll be there. Yes, Abby will be there. Yes. <laughs> great. Well, thank you again, Samad, for being on the show today. It was great to talk with you. Thank you for having me. That's actually all the time we have today. Our interview ran a bit longer than normal, so we won't have time for Ask Mabel. To make it up to you, we will answer a couple extra questions on the show next month. Don't forget, email educate at mabelwadsworth.org if you have any questions about sexual and reproductive health. Thanks for tuning in. For more information about Mabel Wadsworth Center, visit www.mabelwadsworth.org or Mabel Wadsworth Women's Health Center on Facebook. Thanks for listening to Reproductive Left, produced by WERU in collaboration with Mabel Wadsworth Women's Health Center. I'm Abby Strout. Tune in next time, the first Tuesday of the month at 4 p.m. right here at WERU-FM 89.9 Blue Hill, 99.9 Bangor, and streaming everywhere at www.weru.org.